What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Ringer F1 Show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. Hello, welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, Megan Schuster, and we are here today to discuss a hot and a somewhat messy Mexico Grand Prix. Max Verstappen wins the race, his 15th of the season. Lewis Hamilton comes in second, and Charles Leclerc takes third. Rounding out the rest of the top 10 are Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, George Russell, Daniel Ricciardo, Oscar Piastri, Alex Albon, and Esteban Ocon. We have lots of collisions to parse, even more close calls to get into, and joining me to discuss all of it is Spanners Ready. Spanners, how are you? Now, listen here, North America. We (laughs) in Europe have been very, very patient and welcoming to you into Formula One. But if you're going to have races that are way past supper time and into bedtime in the UK, (laughs) then finish on time. No red flags. You crack on. I don't care if the whole field is is in a barrier. You carry on. So, yeah, I'm I'm up here at uh, half past ten at night recording this. I'm testing my wife's patience. And I think any minute now... Uh, if these Grand Prix get any later, she's going to go and make me get a proper real job instead of podcasts. So it's just you and Max Verstappen who are firmly anti-safety in F1. Barriers yes. don't need to be fixed. Just haul the car off. Keep it going. Safety yeah, car. Yeah, he was. That's it. That's, he was like, why are, they, why are they calling a red flag for that? You- well, possibly because gases are spewing out of it and it's <laughs> on fire and the barrier's half down. I am all for health and safety until it's slightly inconvenient. <laughs> Do you think Max had a dinner reservation? Do you think he just like had be. to get out of there by whatever time? Well, he likes his iRacing, so he probably had a, yeah, uh, an iRacing race scheduled and he had to get in and out. Um, but he was saved from uh, any potential booing by Charles Leclerc today. So actually, he got a very good reception from the from the crowd. Uh, but Leclerc did. sadly didn't. He did. We should just start right from the beginning because what happened on lap one dictated all of that booing and a lot of what was to come in the race. So we start off, lights go out. Max gets away very well, kind of creeps down the right side of the track right next to Charles Leclerc, eventually kind of gets his nose out and seems like he's going to get away just fine. Checo gets somehow an even better start than Max. Uh, Starting from fifth, he just kind of pulls into the lane that Max vacates when he drifts out to the right, gets off to the left, and seems like he's going to go around the outside. Now, poor Charles Leclerc gets sandwiched right in the middle of these two fellas, has nowhere to go. And so when Checo turns into him around the corner, he hits him, gets right, gets some side pod damage, eventually has to retire the car. Charles gets away with some relatively minor damage, all things considered, um, and seems just yeah. fine. But Checo is obviously very upset after his home race. The, the shots of Checo. him sitting in the car were devastating. I know. Checo was upset. There was kids crying. You made kids <laughs> cry, Sergio. I was upset. All of the stadium was upset. And, oh, man, how do you get from fifth place on the grid and your head 
By the right. time of the contact, you're ahead of the pole sitter. That just shows what a crazy drag down to turn one that is. And yeah, you're right. That scene when they were in the pits. So he, he came into the pits and they're working mm-hmm. on the car and you can see everyone's got their area to check. And the front right hand guy leans over and he's, he's like shaking the wishbone and he like <laughs> yeah. looks confident and he's looking at Paris kind of like, yeah, the, the front wishbone's okay. <laughs> and then there's this kind of, you know, uh, striking of the neck symbol, like, no, no, car's dead, turn it off. And you see him banging the wheel. And then as TV viewers, it then cuts to the replay where we see a gigantic hole in the side. Yes, So yes. All, all that time we saw him in the pits, we're like, can he get back out? Is there hope? Mm-hmm. Nope. Half nope. the car's been ripped off. Not at all. He looks like he was going to cry in the car um, for a yeah. number of reasons. A, because it's his home Grand Prix and you always want to do well there. B, there's obviously a lot of, you know, questioning and pressure going on around Red Bull at this moment where they have four seats for four to five potentially drivers. Um, so Checo got interviewed while the race was going on. And to his credit, he, you know, took all of the blame for it, said he understood that there was nowhere for Charles to go, but also said that he would have not forgiven himself if he hadn't kind of sent it when he has a chance to maybe get around the corner in first oh, place. Now, this is where he and I maybe disagree on, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. on what, what the <laughs> ideal race strategy is. Uh, go on, go on. He said, you know, he saw he saw a little bit of a window and just decided to kind of go for it. And I, I don't think that Christian Horner probably felt that way either. But what did you make of his move? And oh, what, man. what what is your reaction to his explanation for why he went after it? it there's that similar first moment because I'm a big che- uh, Checo Perez supporter. Yeah. And we went through this with Lewis Hamilton when he was on the outside of, yes. of Russell and Verstappen. Yes. And, you know, and ultimately it's his fault. But you're like, oh, you're looking for... You're looking for something. And mm-hmm. as he came down the outside, the second he twitched the wheel, I went, oh, what, what have you done? It's, it's, it's too much. He, he's, he's squeezed into the car and he's gone. And then you look, I look at the first replay and you go, oh, hang on. There was a slight gap between Leclerc and Verstappen. Can we possibly, can I, can I gaslight myself <laughs> into thinking that was Leclerc understeering? Mm-hmm. And actually the, the slight gap between Verstappen and, um, and Leclerc was caused by the contact. Like Leclerc did absolutely... Nothing wrong. I think the problem is that there might be a little bit of a generational gap even just between Perez, who's you know 33, mm. and Lewis Hamilton and, and some of the younger guys who came through. I sure. think that perhaps when they came into F1, cars would have ducked out if the other car had their nose around the outside. A lot of times the cars would, would not want to get pinched and would, would dip out. And the, these younger drivers, they don't seem to back out at all in those situations. Mm. And Perez simply went into a gap that he hoped would exist. And I think he said, you know, he wasn't expecting Perez to be able to break that late and we'll never know where Perez, uh, where, sorry, where Leclerc would have ended up with his mm-hmm. selected breaking point. Uh, but the fact is, per- uh, Leclerc was alongside Perez the whole time. Right. So Perez thought, I'm, right. Perez thought, I'm going to manage to break later than him. Therefore, when I turn, I will be ahead of him. And I think Hamilton did much the same. And yeah, they're hoping these guys are going uh, chick- to chicken out. And I just don't think the modern F1 drivers do it. They hold their line. They stay in their lane. And, and you get these kind of contact- contacts. It's, you know, it's 100% Perez's fault. I don't buy so much the, I, ha- I would have never forgiven myself if I didn't go for a win. Right. I think that's something you say to yourself when you've got a few minutes to decide what you're going to say in the pit pen. Because he blew it. And it's just it was just such a... Oh, I'm not a racing driver. So it feels like to me, like a fan, it feels like low IQ. It was a low IQ move. It was a low probability move in your home Grand Prix when you've already got a great start. Worst case right. scenario, you, you break, you hold your line. The inside car doesn't ha- is not obliged to turn into the apex and mm-hmm. make it as comfortable for you as possible. Hold your line, head for somewhere near, you know, head for somewhere at the exit. So, so opposite the apex on the outside, hope to keep your car on track. You only have to keep a wheel on track and then hope Mm -hmm. to make something happen down the inside. But he was trying to get it all done and have Leclerc dispatched so he could then get Verstappen into the next corner. It It was so ambitious and just really, really painful and just the worst possible result for the home grand prix especially when this there's so much support you know for the for that home grand prix and so much support for the home driver yeah it's frustrating because you know he's starting the race in fifth and he's already up in you know at worst case scenario if he just holds that line going through the corner he comes out in third and so you yes. would think that yeah. you know eventually you you already gained two places just on that one straight 
you're not going to beat Max anyway, because we've already seen this happen how many times this year, and it's just not going to be the end result. But you don't need to pass Charles on this. You have to think that the Red Bull has more pace than the Ferrari throughout the race. And yeah, yeah, it, it felt like a very kind of desperate move. And one one that was just silly. And and I'm, yeah. frankly, I think he's kind of lucky that there wasn't a bigger collision that he didn't accidentally send Charles into Max or something. Because imagine what <laughs> would be going through Red Bull's mind yeah. if both of those cars get taken out because of this move. Yeah. But the thing is, he's been like this in all of the second half of the the season. So yeah. I think there, you know, there was a few races in a row where we just didn't want him to clatter into someone. I think Singapore, he may have hit uh, three people. And every time it was his fault. So these yeah. moves are getting more and more desperate to the point where it's a little bit of a liability. And I don't quite know where his head's at. If he really thought he was going to beat Verstappen on pace the way they've been performing all season. And that all hinged on squeezing Leclerc mm-hmm. onto the inside and, and managing to hold it into turn two. Then, yeah, there's a there's a level of, hmm, pick my words carefully. He's not thinking the way everyone else is thinking about that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you would think that maybe it stems from some sort of internal pressure. And this is me fully reading my own tea leaves because I, yeah, you know, I, I like, I like driver drama, but Sky Sports 2 asked him during that, during like inter-race interview, whether he did it because he felt like he had something to prove or felt like there was some sort of, you know, edict coming in from Red Bull that he needed a good result in this race. And he said, you know, no, he kind of stuck to his line of, this was all me. I, I saw the opportunity and felt like I really had to take it. But it, it was, yeah, very, very reckless and um, d- obviously didn't work out for him. And- it's a big, it, it, okay, I think the fairest thing to say is that it was a real low probability move. And sure. that wasn't the right time to pull a low probability move. Yes, yes. And led to uh, poor Charles Leclerc getting booed during his post-race <laughs> interview. He had a really it. great react. Honestly, his facial reaction to it was was very funny. And um, he got very defensive trying to appease the crowd and say, you guys, I had nowhere to go. I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? Oh, tough, tough day. Tough day. Um, but overall, I think probably a good result for Ferrari, all things considered. Mm. Uh, Charles finishing third. Uh, Carlos finishing fourth, you know, they came in one and two in qualifying, which we've come to expect from them having great qualifying performances, but they didn't fall off in this race. I think quite as much as I was expecting them to, and certainly quite as much as they have in other races this season. You want the third place to be a disappointment for Ferrari though, don't you? From from pole. So from pole, you're going, they only lost two positions. They only went, they went from one, two to three, four. And that we're saying that's a good result. It's obviously not a good result, but in the context of they came fifth and sixth, I think, in the the last Grand Prix. Uh, yeah, so maybe they flattered themselves in qualifying. So they weren't they weren't looking like pole sitters all throughout qualifying. No. And it was just it was just that Q three run where they'd obviously done something with their outlaps and they'd managed to you know make it magic and uh, maybe a little bit of luck that Verstappen left a little bit on the table. It also looked like Hamilton left a little bit on the table as well. So, you know, just a little bit scruffy and they absolutely nailed it. So they get there and you think, right, this is the Mexican Grand Prix. We know it's the longest run down to turn one. Be smart. Don't do what Bottas and Hamilton did, which is just Mm -hmm. give Verstappen fully the outside from P3. You've got to work together. You've got to be wide together. You can make yourself almost three cars width. In fact, you can make yourself nearly four cars width from Mm -hmm. the inside. Yeah, just whatever you do, don't just give him a free pass. And what did they do? They The seas parted. They gave him the slipstream. They let him down the middle. Then signs backed out so that he could then have the inside all to himself. But they couldn't have done any more. They rolled out the red carpet for yeah. Max Verstappen. I'm not saying it would have done much good. But, you know, this is the, an opportunity like Singapore to go, well, it's very hard to overtake here. You need a big delta. Maybe we can make life a little bit harder for for Verstappen. But then he just disappeared. But yeah, I suppose they they will have been disappointed to go, right, well, Hamilton's come through from fifth to to beat us. He's overtaken us twice on track. Did he overtake twice on track? I'm not sure. But anyway, he managed. Yes, he did. Yeah. So he overtook Leclerc after the restart and he got signs um, on the undercut, didn't he? So, Mm -hmm. you know, we've let Hamilton go past us twice. We've given them... A seven, nearly seven second overcut 
So they no uh, yes yeah. so yeah so so they went yes. for the overcut but ended up losing seven seconds mm-hmm. to Lewis Hamilton. So you go well that's mm-hmm. a b- bizarre decision. It's the same as they did last week. They just left Leclerc out and out and out. Except this time they did it with both of them and the Ferrari drivers agreed. And you go right well right. you know Hamilton Hamilton was pressing him goes for the undercut. By the, by the time it all shakes out, Hamilton's got what a nearly seven second lead with only a five lap tire delta. And it just it just seemed like they they gave Verstappen the lead at the start. Then they then they handed places to to Hamilton. You know who knows if it would have worked out any different. Uh, but it was very passive. Yeah, Bernie Collins had a funny line on the broadcast when they were talking about Leclerc staying out, and you know the explanation being that both drivers said that their tires felt good, and she was sort of like, "Well, that's why you have." The pit wall is to t- is because they don't know that Lewis yeah. Hamilton is coming up on fresh tires about like between a half a second and a full second faster than them on each of these laps. And granted, Leclerc did actually come out ahead of Hamilton this time, thankfully, but I think it was within two or three seconds. Yeah, it was close. Whereas yeah. there there would have been quite quite a better gap had he pitted earlier. But it was funny with their qualifying pace because Charles seemed more surprised by it than anyone else when he was asked after you know whether this was something that he had ever expected yeah, like, based nope. on yeah <laughs> again great facial expressions do you get the sense that ferrari is just sort of content with being a qualifying team at this point based on how they set things up or do you think that that's just all that they're capable of at the moment yeah no i don't think they're they're aiming to be a qualifying team i think this is this is a question i keep trying to ask people who know you know, more about things than me, which is, you know, you set out to make a fast car and then you set out to be able to manage that car over a race pace. Are they two different things? Or mm-hmm. is that like um, a scale where if you make yourself a bit better at race pace, you lose some qualifying pace? And the the more I speak to people, the more I'm thinking that it's just two separate things. So they've managed to crack having a fast race car, but they haven't managed to crack a Grand Prix distance on the Pirelli tyres. So... What they need to do is harass Pirelli to choose harder <laughs> compound tires. So harder compound tires, I think they would have been better off. But today mm-hmm. it was a step softer than than last season. Still got quite conservative, to be fair. Yeah. But that then, and so that that was kind of representative where they struggled a little bit, but didn't sink and and drop down the pack. So no, I don't I don't think it's like a deliberate attempt to go. No, we're going to do well on Saturday and then have disastrous Saturdays. And leave everyone wondering. But yeah, it was just, it was a little bit disappointing tactically that, yeah, as Hamilton was was kind of chewing them up on the new tyres, they were they were happy. They were all delighted yeah. with, with how yeah. it was going. And um, and looking at how Hamilton was managing the tyres, you go, okay, had there not been that red flag, Hamilton probably would have been comfortable holding them off till till the end of the race. Um, and, and certainly his pit engineer seemed very confident about that. And then mm-hmm. when we flip-flopped the other way, Hamilton had better management on the mediums yes. than other people seem to have on the hards. So I think maybe they were just doomed. Uh, and we have to say that they 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 did about what was expected of them today. Yeah, they were a bit clearer on the radio. We didn't see many of the A, B, C, D, E options. They, they sort of were like, we're going to no. go for the one, the optimized one stop. Does that sound okay? So maybe they've taken some communication lessons over the last week. No, I, you've, I can't, Meg, I can't believe you've fallen for it, right? So <laughs> they, they all the plans are called uh, plan A, but it's now, you know, like Chinese where the tone is very important. So it's plan <laughs> A, plan A. Plan A, plan A, and plan A. And that's how they differentiate between their plans now. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, we should note that Charles is still being investigated after the race oh for driving goodness. in unsafe conditions. Uh, uh, the left piece of his front wing fell off a few laps after his collision with Checo. So yeah. I don't I don't know if anything is going to come from that. It seems like he probably should, should have been black and orange flagged yeah. at some point. Like, I don't yeah. If they're not going to make you come in, I don't know why you would ever willingly come in, but that yep. is something that they're discussing. We have seen cars with the that front flap more, you know, that was quite extreme, but we've seen Magnussen on 17 occasions having a loose end plate. <laughs> right, and right. yeah, you, if you get the meatball flag, then you come in, but you give it the opportunity to, to fall off. Mm-hmm. And so it would seem really, really, really harsh to... to take action afterwards because race control had a chance to do something there mm-hmm. and and they basically complied with the race control's decision i.e sure. no meatball flag sure suggests that that we're okay um but yeah so that was um yeah a little bit unlucky there 
But think of poor Derek in the end plate department. You know, he has spent <laughs> a long time designing that end plate. He's super proud of it. He's got mm-hmm. all the tests and the PowerPoints to show why it's a good end plate. <laughs> and like, so Leclerc said, oh, it's not making much of a difference. And, mm-hmm. But when that end plate was wobbling off, you know, Derek would have been nudging his mates going, he's doomed his Charles. Without my magic end plate, he's gone. And then oh, that sinking feeling. And he goes home and he kicks his cat and the family say, what's wrong? I don't want to talk about it. How did your end plates to do, do today, honey? No, you know. So, yeah, it is funny, isn't it, that those end plates can sometimes not make a difference? That's weird. And then sometimes it feels like they do make quite a big difference. So maybe it just depends on the car. Who knows? All I know is that I really wanted a live cam on Gunther Steiner when he when Charles was yes. allowed to continue yeah. going because yeah, yeah, Gunther yeah. has been like livid about all of the times that his drivers have had to come in for black and orange flags and and to see his com- competition not have to do that must be incredibly frustrating. So last week you, did you have to record an extra bit after the show to do all the disqualifications? Yes. Yeah, so yes. let's hope we don't have to do that this week. That would be a real bummer. So maybe the FIA can just help us out and let this one slide. That would be great. Um, driver of the day, Lando Norris. What, what did you think from him? Starting okay. 17th, oh. making up into 5th. Were you not impressed? Your facial expression seems a little pained <laughs> well, that I brought this uh, up. Yeah, because you don't want to just sit here and be like negative, negative. And he's driver of the day, so it's obviously very popular. McLaren's a very popular team. Lando Norris <laughs> is a very popular driver. Okay, so very good race looked amazing fighting cars that he shouldn't have been fighting like he cut through a grid of much slower cars because ultimately they had a bad qualifying and then he had a bad slash unlucky restart you're shaking your head at me okay fine you're shaking your head at me i'm gonna say this to you Uh uh-huh he do it he he threw away a a podium this weekend and he's driver of the day explain to me why wow this this is this is well, really an interesting color on you. I thought this was defense? gonna be like a very positive segment yeah, about how well Lando did coming back and from a did. tough qualifying. He uh, you know, got the most out okay. of his car. Yeah, go so, for it. So, go for so it. So is driver of the day the driver who qualified badly and then sort of recovered <laughs> to nearly where they should have been? Is that what driver of the day is? Because Perez has got a ton of driver of the day awards <laughs> for doing exactly that. But, but okay, he, okay, here's the massive positive for Mm-hmm. Lando Norris is mm-hmm. he needed to kind of really stamp his authority on the team again after everyone was raving about Piastri. So if Piastri s- started sixth, I think, or somewhere up there, and Lando Norris started right near the back, and then in the end, Piastri, with no real drama apart from a bit of a contact with Sonoda, mm-hmm. is then ordered to let Lando Norris by. You go, ooh, that one's that's a tough one. That's a tough one to take. So there's no doubt he's won that battle. He cut through the pack very well and yes. he was he was aggressive and he made moves work, uh, banged wheels with Ricardo to just get yep. that move done, overtook George Russell in a place that I was I just was I was so surprised because yeah. Russell wasn't expecting it. And he just left the door wide open and kind of haplessly had to try and hold it around the outside before they got to the stadium. So 10 out of 10 for all that stuff, but he wasn't trying to overtake the Ferraris or defending against the Ferraris or fighting Lewis Hamilton, which is where that car could have been. He was matching Lewis Hamilton for pace as he was charging up the field. So for all of the good Sundayness, he he they, the he and the team, that combination made mistakes on uh, in Q1. They abandoned the hard slap. He did have a, a, a another attempt in the middle and then he didn't make it on the, the soft tire. So, You've got to own that a little bit, and we can't get too carried away that he was cutting past Stroll and Sargent and Ocon on the way up to the fight he should have been in. You can boo me. If it makes you feel better, boo me. I can see you want to. My counter to that is that the award is driver of the day, not driver of the weekend. So, nice, sick. That is a good combo. Thank you, okay. thank you, right, thank yeah. you. No, but honestly, though, I, I think the thing that really kind of swayed me over to his side this week was those close battles at the end, but like the one with Daniel Ricardo was really well orchestrated and and granted it could have, it could have gone poorly if he'd been going up against somebody else or if Daniel, you know, wasn't as attentive as maybe he should have been. But between that one and the George overtake, I think I found both very impressive. It seemed like he was really on a good strategy and granted McLaren helped him out a bit. And you know, with the Piastri overtake, that he didn't take up very much time, but 
Yeah. You know, he just had a lot of great pace at the end, and I was pretty stunned to see him get all the way up into fifth, judging by where he was sort of in the middle of the race. Not everyone would have cut through the pack like that in that yes. car on that day. Yes. So that absolutely deserves credit. But he's not mm-hmm. my driver of the weekend. Who is that? Oh, no, I'm just, I was just changing the awards subtly from driver of the day to driver oh. of the weekend and seeing if anyone <laughs> noticed. Um, no, I, I fully supported it. I, I mean, driver of the day is a popularity contest, so we don't need to judge all merit by that. But I felt like he was a worthy winner today. Didn't Rio Harianto win driver of the day once? I think the very first driver of the day award was by Rio Harianto, and he finished like 23rd or something that day. Should we try to game the driver of the day system sometime and like get like a Valtteri <laughs> Botas win when he's down in 16th? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Tag us at Megan Schuster, at Meg Schuster, <laughs> at Spanners Ready. Tag us on Twitter and tell us who we should try and throw our collective <laughs> community weight at. I'll, I'll get the Missed Apex crew involved as yeah, well. Yeah. And, can uh, we, can yeah. we stuff the ballot box like the last week of the season and just see what, what the weirdest person we could get up there is? Yeah. Sergeant, you want to go for Sergeant? Let's get Sergeant a driver of the day. Uh, if only, he retires, we'll do it. I, I was going to say only in a race where he DNFs because otherwise it's not as funny. Okay. Deal. Let's do it. All right. I'm ready. Let's do it. My driver of the weekend, if we're going off of this, Daniel Ricardo. Yeah, man. This was, this was such a heartwarming performance for me. He seemed to really have like kind of an emotional weekend. He was a little bit teary-eyed after he came in fourth qualifying. He was so happy, so excited to be competing. He was running pretty well, I think, right away from FP1. And to see him get fourth in qualifying in an Alpha Towery was kind of emotional for me as well. Yeah, yeah, he was all like, yeah, uh, I want to take my shirt off. And I'm like <laughs> screaming at the TV going, no one's stopping you. I mean, oh, don't. Yeah. So he was like Wait, super, <laughs> he was super happy and he was buzzing. And you have to go, right, well, where did he pull that performance out? You know, was it just the help from Sonoda? Because Sonoda was giving mm-hmm. him the slipstream. Right. And did you see there was a great interview with Sonoda where they said, it was so generous of you playing the team game. And Sonoda went. Oh, they forced me to. <laughs> like, I, I had to, so I did. Because they, You don't have to say that. You could have just nodded and gone, yes, yes, I wanted to help. I'm, I'm a uh, great teammate, Daniel. which is why I should be up in the Red Bull next season. This is my exactly. campaign move. Yeah, but that, that qualifying was just sick all the way through. He absolutely nailed it. And and then I fully expected him to to drop like a stone. But I guess they were set up with a little bit of a higher top speed. Now, if if I can find the quote, uh, Alpha Tauri really focused on this race and felt uh, very comfortable on on Mexico and they brought a diff- a different mechanical setup mm. to the Mexican Grand Prix and they'd sort of kind of been looking at this race and picked it out as one where potentially they would have a good result so it's a real shame that they had to uh, change Yuki Snowda's power unit otherwise they could have had two people up there but this is uh, Jonathan Edels who is something like the race development engineer but senior up there says uh, I think that the Honda engine the Honda engine Surely what? he means Red Bull powertrain. Power I, I think that the Honda engine does seem very strong, even at altitude. I'm sure all the teams are losing some performance compared uh, to sea level, but we think for us with Honda again, um, we think that that difference is quite small and still has good drivability at these altitudes. So I think they really had picked this as a race where where they could do well, but um, you could see that yeah, the cornering speed. The, the downforce wasn't as high as, say, the Mercedes behind. And even though Hamilton was getting great traction out of the stadium, they just had that bit more power and pull yeah. down that main straight. And really, Ricardo's tyres had to go off quite a lot before Hamilton got a good enough delta to get that move done. But yeah, he did. He did great. He he defended, but not to the point where he was going to you know, lose places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he could have stuck his nose in after getting hit by, by Norris, but, you know, it's yeah. smart. You go look at the pace he's coming through. If I if I if I fight this more, maybe I lose more behind. Um, so I think he finished seventh in the he end. He did, yes. yeah. So that is that's an absolutely cracking result in an AlphaTauri for AlphaTauri as well. Obviously, it has come at one of AlphaTauri's strongest weekends. So I wouldn't want to go. Ah, see that proves De Vries is worthless and Sonoda's. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? So, but it's good. He, you know, he obviously has maximised that weekend. I can't I can't see any of the other four junior drivers having done better this weekend yeah yeah he finished seventh he was only a half second away from catching George on the final lap as well I know that was probably a lot to do with the tire situation but very encouraging drive from him overall I I 
think we all knew that he wasn't going to finish in fourth or hold his position, but he st- stuck around in fifth for quite a while. And yeah. it was really fun to get to think of him as less of an idea this weekend and more as just a driver. <laughs> like, like for so long, he's been kind of this theory of, oh, you know, are they going to bring him back? Are they going to re-sign him? Is he going to be going to Red Bull? Can he perform well against Yuki Sonoda? What is his future? And it was just really fun to kind of get to talk about his late breaking again, to see him holding off Lewis, to, you know, monitor some like interesting, bold maneuvers. It felt a little bit like we were getting Red Bull Daniel Ricardo back again, rather than having to Ooh, discuss why he's sad and doing poorly. It was fun. That's actually, that's a good point, right? Because seeing a sad Ricardo is almost pointless because the whole point of having him there is he's really super happy. Yeah. And he, he has... He's extended his career significantly by working hard on his brand. So mm-hmm. it's like the Hunger Games, you know, when the bow and arrow lady, she's yeah. like doing, she's quite good at bow and arrowing, but they're like, oh, no one likes you. So instead they made her have like wings of fire. And then the crowd's like, oh yeah, we love you. You're brilliant. We think you should have extra crisps or however mm-hmm. that worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, Ricardo, I think that's exactly what they said. It, yeah. Was that the plot? Yeah. yeah. But that's yeah. Ricardo. Ricardo has like won the crowd. You know, he's the mm-hmm. great gladiator. Are you not entertained? And that has done his career wonders because there's such a swell of support. And yes. bringing him back to F1, uh, into, into back into an F1 drive has made the, you know, the Red Bull mega team, the Red Bull umbrella team, very popular. That's been a very popular decision. And if they put him in Red Bull, they know fans are going to flood to Red Bull. They're going to buy Daniel Ricciardo merchandise. They're going to throw their weight beside him. And so, yeah, if he's a sad, if he's a sad panda, that the the plan falls down. He's got to be that happy, Ricciardo. Well, and they've invested a lot into making him happy again. They've had a lot of outward support from him, from Christian Horner, from the other drivers. You know lauding his sim times and how much work he's putting in. And we got that whole kind of preseason press tour about how, oh, he's in a totally different headspace. He feels like a different driver from, you know, he was kind of broken by McLaren and we've fixed him. And now here he is back again. And it's working. It's all working. I've bought in. I'm fully invested. They've convinced me (laughs) that it's happening. I'm an easy mark for this, I I will admit. But I'm sure he'll do fine against Verstappen. Yeah, everything. (laughs) You should look forward to that. Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, Max had a a pretty easy overtake of him. I I kept waiting for for the camera of Max looking over and kind of giving him a little wave when he went by, but didn't happen, unfortunately. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive. Because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
in a less happy news, weird weekend for Aston Martin, weird few <laughs> weeks for Aston Martin. We got a double DNF for both Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll. This was Alonso's second straight DNF after he did not finish in Austin last week. Alonso sounded like a car issue, which I will be interested to ha. monitor going forward. I could, right. Uh, no, shenanigans. I'm shenanigans. Calling, yeah, I'm calling shenanigans. No driver has retired in a non-points finishing position in the back half of a Grand Prix than Fernando Alonso. He has mm. so much previous on this that if, if that was a real issue, then he is very much the middle-aged man who cried wolfy, wolfy, wolf, wolf, because he has done this so, so often. Yeah, McLaren Honda, pretty much any time he was like 12th or below, he'd go, oh no, there's some <laughs> kind of problem. And it's just like he can't process finishing out the points. So he just mm -hmm. goes, ah, oh, well, 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 what could have been, eh, if it wasn't for that late eh, engine problem? Uh, but the thing is, you can't just park the car. So you can't just go, oh, well, let's save the power unit. Let's dip out. Because that mm -hmm. would be terrible for entertainment. You'd just basically sure. get everyone from P12 down doing that. So there are rules around that. So you have to, you have to make something up that's convincing. I, I heard a rattle. Feels like a safety issue. Oh, my brake's rumbling. Oh, we can't risk it, Fernando. In you come. So in a way, that points to one of the big, low-hanging bits of fruit in Formula One rules, which is we should have points all the way down. I agree. Long overdue, long overdue. And you can, you know, you, you can say, well, F1 Grand Prix points are special. In the olden days, Meg, in the olden, olden days, you had to finish in the top one. And even then you only got <laughs> half a point. But no, it used to be the top six, didn't it? And people fought when it was then the top eight and the top 10. They're like, oh, you're diluting what a point means. Pff, it, that's not, it's not a thing. That's completely invented. You could, you could weigh it so that the bottom points are almost insignificant. Right compared to the championship fight. So you could have, like, the winner could get 100. It's all made up, isn't it? And then second place gets 80 yeah. or whatever. And then when you get down to the back half, you know, you're talking about fighting for 15, 7, 8, you know, and then a, a, you know, zero at, at the last place. Just so these drivers have got something to compete against. Yeah, and if someone absolutely spawns a, a third place and they end up getting their 70 points, yeah, good for them. But you can wait it however you want. Mm -hmm. But we should really stop the back of the grid being a worthless fight because in a lot of Grand Prix, that's the only place where something's happening. And today yeah. there was loads of DRS trains and there was great racing. You know, Sonoda had that little touch with Piastri mm -hmm. and he went from 7th to 17th. You know, that's how, how close everything kind of was, obviously, after the, the restart. Yeah, I just wish they had more to fight for. But yeah, Alonso, no one's buying that. And And... Points at the bottom may seem insignificant, but we got a lot of talk today about how Daniel Ricardo's finish could give AlphaTauri somewhere oh, yeah, in the range yeah. of, what, $20 million in, in development money for next season. So if they overtake Williams, is it? Is that who they're fighting to overtake? Um, so. Well, they're, they were in 10th going into the race. I think they got up to maybe 8th. So I would guess... No, that would be behind Williams then. I think yeah, Williams were on Williams. 23 points. Yes. Yes. Um... But yeah, I mean, in terms of Alpha Tower or Aston Martin, we got the Alonso issue. We also got a late accident between Stroll and Valtteri Bottas. Um, and, and neither car had much pace all throughout the weekend. I no. think Alonso qualified in 13th. Stroll was 18th. Um, we all expected some drop-off from where Aston Martin started this season, where they were competing for podiums and seemed initially like Red Bull's closest competitor for a while. But... They haven't had more than 10 points in a race collectively between the two cars since the Dutch Grand Prix in August. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's yes. some good stats. Thank you. Thank you. Nice. I, I, look, I looked it up. Good and <laughs> fourth place in the constructors, which seemed like they were going for for a while, now feels like a very distant memory. What are you making of what's going on with this car? Yeah. Do you think that they just sort of bailed out midseason and are looking ahead to 2024? Because... Even with that, I don't think fully explains just how far off they've fallen over the last few months. So the gap between Alonso and Stroll looks a lot closer now. And they've done a lot of messing around with mixing and matching upgrades with floor upgrades. And Alonso is saying, I can't get the most out of this car. I can't, you know, extract the most performance. And then today, you know, he had to, uh, you know, team orders to let Stroll buy. Mm -hmm. I don't know. If, if the gap was closing... 
and they were finishing in the points, you'd kind of go, oh, it's a good job, good job. Stroll's got it together. It can take a bit of the heat off him. But when the gap's closer and they're at the bottom, you go, what did they do? Right. What did they, right. what did they do to that car? What change <laughs> did they make? Because they've made a lot of changes and they've uh-huh. dropped down the field and their two-time world champion cannot get it together and is looking more or less on the same level as Stroll, who's been mm-hmm. nowhere all year. So, it, like I said, if that gap between the drivers had closed and they were scoring points, I'd be going, well done, Stroll. I eat my words. You've really got it together. Now let's bring it in for a fight in 2024. But the fact that the gap has closed and it's undrivable and they're at the bottom of the table, it just makes me go, what have they done? What, what have they done? And I can't answer, but what yeah. have they done? Yeah. It's a real look at how they massacred my boy situation with that car. I, I was really excited to see them you know, finished somewhere in the midfield, set up well, like a, a good jumping off point for 2024. And now I have very little confidence about what they're going to do next season outside of Fernando Alonso, hopefully being competitive. But it depends. Well, I mean, it depends what you think their design philosophy is. So when you said, oh, uh, everyone was expecting some drop off. Really? Was everyone expecting drop off? Even I, I heard like so. <laughs> broadcasters today going, what's happened? They had Red Bull employees. What happened? Oh, I can't believe it. No, not not everyone was uh, you know was uh, was expecting the drop off. So do well, they, they they start they start a season? I wasn't yeah. expecting this level of drop off. I think I think they're where I thought they were going to be, and then some. So yeah, you're right. They, there's a little bit more drop off than expected at the very end of the season. So they've clearly gone the wrong way. If they could undo whatever it is they've done they would yeah. still be fighting for the the odd point with with Alpine but right. kind of be slower than Alpine and and McLaren. Right. Which right. is which is where at the start of the season you could fairly have expected them to be. Mm-hmm. You could have fairly predicted they should come out and be yeah in a, you know the sixth fastest car. They exceeded that for a small amount of time. So if they start their season by doing what they've done in the past which is getting a good concept and that is perhaps similar to another team take some inspiration from another team and then hang on for as long as possible but not necessarily know how to develop that they had mm-hmm. some staff from red bull how much information you know came over from that gardening leave so we're all guessing we're guessing the wind in the air here but <laughs> but it's a it's a pattern you know they start the season very strong and then they drop off so does does this form bode well for 2024 no i don't think so they might start quite well again but the difference is this time ferrari and mercedes are much more likely to be strong in in 2024 from the from the beginning Yes, yes. It, it makes me wonder how long Fernando Alonso is going to be content and not uh, angry and not, you know, making making a stink about things because he's not someone who is generally happy to be middle of the pack or end of the pack, uh, if you will. So he hides it well. <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about from the race specifically? Otherwise, there's some qualifying investigations, qualifying impediments stuff that I think we could get into. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, let's see. Do I go full spanners on this? Because Twitter wasn't very happy with me on my opinions on this. Where, where do you want to start with that then? Mate? So but let me set the stage. So ahead of the final runs in Q1, Max, Fernando, and George all backed up other cars on the exit of the pit lane to try and kind of create a delta, create a gap between them and the other cars that are going around. Now, this has happened before this season. Max got a reprimand for doing this in Singapore, and the FIA, I think, afterwards said that they probably should have penalized him or sort of regretted not penalizing him. Um, So then when this happened this time, I think, you know, I certainly expected something different to come from all of this. Um, and then we got the news uh, either late yesterday or early this morning that they all avoided penalties. Uh, the stewards said, quote, they consider this that an entire set of incidents occurred as a direct result of the implementation of the minimum lap time. So so basically that rather than letting them go really slowly mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. the track to create gaps between cars, that they did this in the pit lane instead, which the stewards are viewing as the safer option of the two options. Um, They also said that we note that there are contrary requirements on drivers and that they must respect the minimum time. They are attempting to create manageable gaps to the car in front, yet that they are also required to avoid unnecessarily stopping at the pit exit or driving unnecessarily slowly. 
So all in all, the result is that they said that this is the lesser of two evils, but that things need to change going forward. I I expected some some penalties. I, I thought we were going to get something here because this was very, very egregious all three times. Your logical fallacy of the week is false dichotomy. So mm. they've yes. created a situation here where they've said, ah, well, out of this thing and this thing, that was, and actually the lesser of two evils is a, a logical fallacy as well, because there was a third option, which is don't leave your garage until you, you have a gap. Sure. Um, you can leave, leave the garage, monitor the, the track and leave, then go. Um, but they don't do that because they want to gain the track position that they want. Mm. And then they want to slow down for the gap. Uh, and where they are in the queue, they want to be h- as high up in the queue as they can and then manage the gap. Right. Uh, so, so they did have a choice. They could have stayed in the garage to, to have that gap. So what they've essentially done is they've said, in Singapore, yes, I think the impeding on Sonoda was the worst one out on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, you know, they talked about the pit lane one where he was just stopped waiting for a gap to go. Yes. And then they said they were going to be harder on that in the future. So as soon as I saw... Russell and Verstappen doing that again, I thought that's got to be, it's got to be a nailed on penalty. Mm -hmm. But what they've then turned around and said, the stewards have then turned around and said, do you know what? Actually thinking about it, it probably, (laughs) it probably is okay to block in the, in the pit lane. So they, they both were blocking for different reasons. Now Uh Verstappen, I watched it on the onboard and he's got 30 seconds. 30 seconds is a long time of crawling from near the front of the pit lane to, to the exit and in that time, he actually straddles both lanes. So the mm. intention is clear. You can look at his head. He's looking in the mirror the whole time because he wants to make sure no one can get past. The right. intent is absolutely blocking. And then he gets past the end of the pit lane exit. And remember, people can't pass if it means going over the pit line. That pit line is like a brick wall. You can't pass it. You can't go around him. He then doesn't quite come to a stop, which people have used as the excuse. Well, he didn't stop. <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not a truck driving skills challenge. <laughs> he was still, you know, biding his time and still making sure he had track position and a gap, and then he goes. Russell's one was even clearer because Russell then yes. goes, "Well, I've been held up by Verstappen. I'm just going to stop, he and then I'm going to yeah, park, park it, it at the end, wait of the for thing. a gap, and then I'm and then I'm going to go." So yeah, it's really weird. They go, they went for Singapore, no penalty. Then in Kota, they're like, "Oh yeah, we should have done penalties and stuff for yeah. that." And this time they've gone, "No, actually, that's it's just allowed." To do that. So what they're now what they've now opened is, and this is what Twitter got upset with me for, is I said it is now a man uh, you know, it's a legislated for and and permissible thing to do in F1 to block the pit lane. Yeah. So you can now block the pit lane. What's the limit to how much you can block the pit lane? Right. What what amount of gap are you allowed to say that you think you need mm-hmm. to to block people? So you can get out there. You know, what what is to stop abuse of that system? It's very easy to go right in Q1. Uh, sorry, Q3, I set my lap, I'm in pole, uh, I'm going to make it so that exactly. the people behind me can't set a lap. Or yeah. what's to stop the three other Red Bull cars helping Verstappen the next right. time by holding it? That is so wide open to abuse. It's surely easier to say, you can't slow down in the pit lane. If you haven't got a gap, that's kind of a little bit your problem because we didn't, you know, you'd, or, or find some other system that is more manageable. Or eventually, if you can't solve it, then you're going to have to go to one shot quality, which I think would be an awful idea because everybody's qualifying in different conditions on different track states. And I, and I wouldn't like that. So the, the, the thing they're avoiding is cars slowing down at the end of Q3 and causing uh, uh, massive uh, gaps in speed between qualifying cars and cars waiting to go and qualify. But the way they've gone about it has just been horrible and clumsy. I just want to know what the rules are so that I can follow along. So it seems like where we've left things is that the stewards have said this isn't okay, but we're not going to penalize it now. Yeah, they've they've said that was better. Actually, that is better that they did that. That is yeah. what they said in the stewards report. Yeah, it, it does sound like they're planning to circle up maybe after the season and try to figure out a way to prevent this going forward. Um, which I think would be wise because, as you said, what is to stop somebody? You know, if if you have your rival team is behind you in the pit lane and you know that there's only a certain amount of time left for you to get around track to start a, a fast lap. And if you hold them up for 30 seconds, they're not going to be able to do it. Who who in F1 isn't going to take advantage of that? We know drivers deliberately cause yellows 
like there's so many stories yeah, of, of drivers right. deliberately causing yellow flags to stop people, you know, just have a little nudge into the wall to cause a yellow to ruin people's laps. And, and, and Alonso did it accidentally and it accidentally, he did it in Q1 and it just happened to be exactly the right time and mm-hmm. impede exactly the people who might have knocked him out of Q1. And, it, and you know, it was a weird spin, but, pff, you know, coincidences do happen. What are you going to do? Know, you know, yeah, I mean, he's only 20 years into his F1 career, I suppose. <laughs> You know, that suddenly to just plant the throttle strangely before the apex of the corner and send the rear around. Oh, man. Well, it worked out, though. It did work out. Do you think that there is something that the stewards should have put in place or sort of like a a third option here that they could address and and make kind of legal and, and all good going forward? Or do you think the answer is just you shouldn't be allowed to leave your garage until you think you have a Delta. And if you leave, then you just have to go out and get onto track. Yeah. So yeah, if you, if you leave and you find yourself in a bit of a queue, you've all got to shuffle out a little bit, but then that contribute that contravenes the first thing that they were trying to get rid of. Yeah. So the FIA has put themselves in a, in a corner. They've checkmate mated themselves. It probably all came from good intentions. They probably mm-hmm. are trying to reduce accidents, but the pit lane has always been considered part of the racetrack. That's what always gets you know said to me when there's pit lane incidents. Sure. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just want consistency. They put themselves in a cul-de-sac and uh, let's see how they get themselves out of it. Yeah, I'm curious if we're going to get any more incidents across the rest of the season and maybe something that forces their hand going forward. I, I guess we'll we'll see, but maybe all the teams are getting kind of underhanded instructions to maybe not make them look bad across the next few races. I've got a good thing. I've got a good thing left yeah, from the race. Please. You asked me earlier and I had to scroll up and down my notes. But um, uh-huh. Albon, at the beginning of the race on the hard tyre, mm-hmm. was just carving through the field. And I wish they'd, they'd shown more of it on the TV. Uh, the, the problem is everyone is so overhyping Williams on a Friday that then it doesn't look good what they do mm-hmm. on a Saturday and Sunday. So even though they had a really good race, good strategy, doing everything right, because they had P2 in two practice sessions, right. everyone just got like crazy excited and they do it all the time. So that, to stop people getting super excited, let's just talk through this now. Mm-hmm. Williams just tend to run closer to their ultimate pace relative to other teams during those practice sessions. For whatever reason, they seem to run a little bit light. They're not so worried about their engine mode. I suppose they've normally got more tires because they don't always have to do Q3. So... <laughs> It just so happens that Williams run a little, a little bit flatteringly in practice sessions. So just look out for that and don't be disappointed when they then are fighting for points. So Albon finishing P9 today was a great result, but it looks rubbish because everyone was jumping up and down on Saturday morning thinking that they were going to have a front row and hang on for, for mega points. That's not where Williams are right now. So manage your expectations and then what you'll see is a Williams team actually doing wonders at the moment. They're winning that back of the pack battle. Yep. They're in seventh place on 28 points. That is a significant improvement, especially mm-hmm. when you consider that there has been a lopsided distribution of points across the garage. Sorry, America. But 27 yep, of those points have been scored by, by Albon. That could easily have been 50 points And we could easily be talking about them being well clear of the bottom three. Now, the bottom three, that's the worst points combination of a bottom three I could find. I went all the way back to 2016 before Mm. I could find a a worse bottom three. But Williams are are well clear of them. No, they have been very impressive. And I wanted to see more of Albon today for that reason. And also because I felt like what he was doing on the hard tire was could be instructive for other teams depending on when they were going to pit. So when Max pitted first, I think it was like lap 20 and he would have had 51 more laps to do on the hard tires. I was trying to figure out, you know, how is Albon's pace holding up? How are his tires holding up when, you know, it seemed like Red Bull was going for a one stop and that didn't end up being necessary because of Kevin Magnuson's accident and the red flag. But, um, yeah, I thought it might be instructive later on, but yeah, they're, they're doing amazing. I'm very, very proud of them. I think a lot of people projected them to finish last in the points this year based on where they were a year before and sort of what we expected maybe from the car developments. And they've been outperforming a lot of those expectations, which is very exciting. 
So the vowels effect. Sergeant scored a point now. He's on the up. He's going to recover. Spanners, we didn't get to talk about Logan Sargent's <laughs> first point last week. Should we do it right now? How oh, impressed yeah, so were you? you? <laughs> Wasn't it thrilling? <laughs> the best thing that you've seen in Formula One this season? You want me to flip-flop from my opinion of him <laughs> just about doing the minimum by finishing close to his teammate. Nah, it's fine. You know, it's fine. Yeah, you can't take that that part of your way and your first point's going to be something special. I think it was more important to have a clean race and yes. a more important today to have a clean race. And that clean race allowed him to have genuine battles. So he was having a, a battle with Lance Stroll and he yep. was doing F1 drivery things instead of recovery mechanic things. So that's better. That's positive. So it's another data point in the the win column. If he'd have started this season finishing broadly behind Albon, we wouldn't be talking about him. He'd have flown under the radar. It would have been a, a Joe Guan Yu type mm-hmm. situation. So uh, yeah, another data point. How many races left? Four races left. It's really important. You know, you think the championship is wound up, but there's people here fighting still for their careers and, and Sargent's probably one of them. And they've said they're not announcing it till the end of the season. If he can have a clean run mm-hmm. and they think that next season they can clean up his image, get a few points, really capitalize on that American market and the American merch, then, yeah, there you go. There you go. Something positive. See, I did it. I, I will say he he did have a late DNF today um, because oh, of, a, oh, of a mechanical issue. But oh, before that, he'd been his. running up in 12. Yeah, yeah. So some, yeah, that's some fine. positives. But, but D- yes, DNFs I agree with don't you. go against you. I agree with you. I, d- I just felt a bit chipped because when he scored his first point, I was really excited to, you know, make you reckon with the Americanness of it and, and be really obnoxious. And we never got to do that because of what happened last yeah, week. So, yeah, there was going to be sound effects and fireworks. I, and I was going to have the national anthem queued up. I was going to, it was going to be great. Ha- ask our, our lovely producers to put a nice eagle screech in there for me, you know, <laughs> just, just really round it out. But I lost my chance. So, Tough I for would me. say, I would say, look forward to more consistent times than celebrating a, a spike caused by those two DNFs. Don't try to bring me down, Spanners. Don't. No, don't I'm bringing try. you up. I'm bringing you. I'm. I'm <laughs> managing oh, expectations. It. Yeah. I mean, look, overall, I tell you what, I wanted to manage expectations before this Grand Prix, and I even you know, was putting out on social media. Look, you will enjoy, and I'm not meaning to be patronising to anyone. If you're newer to F1. You don't quite have that drumbeat of this is this race, therefore I will expect this. So, sure. But the Mexican Grand Prix, Mexican atmosphere is great, but you have to mm-hmm. set your expectations because it's a track that's, you know, it's a little bit stop start. The altitude messes with everyone. You don't get a great slipstream and a great DRS effect because look, like it was quite hard to pass on a really long straight, even with uh, DRS, people mm-hmm. were struggling. So manage your expectations. But given those managed expectations, there was action at the start. There was good racing throughout the midfield. The well-timed and quite horrific looking Magnussen shunt into the wall obviously helped that as well. Like that was really well-timed from a marketing Mm -hmm. point of view. Genius. And that felt like an obvious red flag. Uh, And this is something they might want to look at. So I think if there's a car in the wall... And it was absolutely pouring and venting steam. Mm-hmm. And the smoke very quickly you know, came out of it. And then you got the relief that Magnuson climbs straight out. But he looks quite shaken. Yeah, It looked like that's the most likely scenario for a red flag that there could be. You know, they haven't just stuck the nose in. He's, he's had a big shunt. There's carbon fiber everywhere. That alone is going to, you know, mm-hmm. going to take some cleaning up. The tech pro barriers are, are obviously warped and there's fire. They could have called a red flag quicker. I think, you know, in Australia, they called it very quickly. And you go, well, it could have easily really affected the race if people had lost major positions Mm -hmm. by going for their pit stop. And then everybody then gets a free pit stop. That's kind of unfair unless they're going to roll back. Okay, let's roll back to the last valid lap or something like that. Sure. Which 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 they may have done. Actually, I didn't I didn't check whether they they did do that. Um, But that kind of saved the Grand Prix as well. And yeah, like I said, there was loads of good racing. So I think like for a Mexican Grand Prix, that was really interesting and that's fun. And, you know, as a as a, a cheerleader for F1, I've been getting disappointed with some people losing interest in F1 because I want I want more F1 friends. Um, but I think that was that was OK. So if that exceeds expectations, we'll put that in the win column. Well, next week, we should hopefully have a very fun race at a very Brazil. fun track in Brazil. Brazil. 
can't wait. Looking forward to it. We'll have another another sprint race to look forward Ah, to. If you are not Max Verstappen and enjoy those kinds of things. Uh, But in the meantime, thank you, Spanners, for joining us. Thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for the production help. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Ringer F1 Show. We will be back very soon. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.